0: Before I get started with, uh, we're in Colossians chapter 2 again today. Before I do that, I just wanted to say a special thank you to Akin and Pat uh, for hosting the barbecue last Sunday, which was mighty fine, wasn't it? It was a stunning thing, and I took a vote of the church, and the church (laughs) voted that it should be every week. So, in an hour or so, is that okay? Is that okay? Um, But no, seriously, thank you ever so much. And also, as many of you will know, my father was with us for a few days last week. Um, His first holiday in maybe three years, actually. His first night away from the house for two years, other than some nights he spent in hospital, which don't really count. And uh, the first time he's driven more than 20 miles in two years, uh, coming out to visit us, and he was sitting in the car out of the rain on sunday but he was with us and thank you ever so much to all of you that went over to speak to him uh, it means a lot to him it means a lot to me uh your folks were great too you know uh it was great they uh, went over and had a good chat and found some common ground on something or other do we do with art art, or art yeah yeah so um but no i'm just seriously very very grateful for all of your prayers for my family we've been through a lot recently and uh, and and just reaching out and just loving my dad so i just want to say thank you very much for that um Next Sunday, um, Akin is speaking, yes, uh, or maybe dancing, I'm not sure. Uh, you're going to express some scriptural truth through the medium of modern dance, maybe. Um, I think it uh, could be done. No. Uh, so Akin will be speaking next Sunday. The plan is we'll be back here if the weather's good. If not, we'll be on Zoom um i will be in estonia uh, god willing so pray for me as i go over there to a conference for bible teachers and do a lesson on uh, colossians 2 and um, hopefully learn some things that'll be useful for us here and more widely in the uk so uh, pray for that i fly on tuesday thursday morning get back on sunday uh, evening um, and i'll let you know when i get back you know i'll see you the following sunday and fill you in on what we've, i've been learning from that so that's what's coming up so next sunday here then the following sunday god willing uh we'll be back in our old venue that some of you have never seen um which was is a school where becky teaches and various children here have attended um and so we'll be prayerfully back there on the fifth of september the first sunday in september so i just said to let you know i emailed the school yes this week asking about are they okay with it and are there any rules they want us to obey I haven't heard back yet, so I anticipate I hopefully will early next week, I we guess. Will this week. I will this week. Sort of back preparing this week for okay. school opening, I think. Right. So um, and then we'll figure out what that means, what it looks like, you know, how much do we need to do legally in terms of procedures and how much is advisable we might want to go beyond what the rules are or not or and I I don't really know right now. But um, we'll see what the schools say and then hopefully back at the school. Uh, on the 5th and we'll have a celebration that Sunday um, we'll just celebrate we'll just celebrate being together Uh, we'll have a little mini lesson but mostly we'll just sing and pray and enjoy being together and have a time of celebration that God has brought us through this tumultuous time at least thus far so right enough on the on that right that's what the Holy Spirit thinks of this lesson (laughs) chuck it away Let's go to Colossians chapter 2, and we're just going to look at three, uh, t- uh, three verses, verses 13, 14, and 15. Would someone like to read those for us? Doesn't matter what translation. Uh, chapter 2, verses 13, 14, and 15. Could someone read that? from Colossians two. Alice is ready, yeah? <laughs> yes, please, Alice. 13, 14, 15. God made a life together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by us. By canceling the record of death that stood at us with its legal demand, this He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed. Thank you. Well done, Alice. Sorry to drop that on you with words like uncircumcision. That wasn't really, wasn't really fair, was it? But thank you. We've already had that. Okay. There's a lot in three verses, and I can't do justice to it all, but I hope I'll bring something out that's useful for us before we take bread and wine. That's the point. And this is a passage that very much fits with the Lord's Supper, taking the bread and wine, remembering the cross and what Jesus has done for us. But just before we go into the passage itself, a reminder of where we've come from so far, or where we've got to. So chapter 2 of Colossians, we see that Paul has a heart for the people at Colossae. He's working hard for them, it says in verse 2, which is mostly praying and writing letters. He's working hard for them. He has a goal. The goal is that they be encouraged in heart. You know, that is not one of the great things about being together, is hopefully we go home more encouraged in heart than when we arrived and encouraged in heart and united in love one of the significant things about meeting physically together whenever we possibly can if things we can't we can't but when we possibly can one of the things about this physical engagement is that it helps us to be more united in love that's what he wants for them that they can also have the full riches of complete understanding of christ all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in him and he warns them that they could be carried away by fine-sounding arguments. He's very confident about them. They're disciplined. They're firm in their faith. And then verses 6 and 7 we looked at recently, which is again, I suppose Paul's, not so much his goal, perhaps his vision for the church. And I'd like you to, us to think about this being a vision for us as a Watford congregation, that we are uh, having received Christ Jesus as Lord in verse 6, that we continue to live our lives in him. We continue to live our lives in him, not in a church structure not in a religion religious organization or traditions as such or traditionalism but we live our lives in him in Christ that he is our focus uh, Rooted and built up in him so rooted in Christ rooted and built, built up in him continuing to grow in him is what he's talking about there strengthened in the faith as you were taught and Overflowing with thankfulness Overflowing with thankfulness and I feel that sense here being together even just as we stood up a moment ago and went around and had a chat there's laughter. There's, there's, a, there's a certain kind of joy about seeing each other and new people as well as old friends. Um, that's, the, that's a characteristic of a Christ-focused, Christ-filled life, is that individuals and congregations overflow with thankfulness. So that's a vision, I think. And then we talked about the fullness of Christ being in us in verses 9 and 10. We have been brought to fullness. And last week, how that happened, um, we've been raised with him through baptism now verses 13 to 15 and we're in another section connected with what we've already been talking about and here in this section we're reminded first of all of what we were you were you were dead we're reminded of what we were then we're reminded of what we are or who we are that we've been made alive out where we are now and we're reminded of how we got there of what god has done so what we were what we now are and how we got here, what God has done. And because course, when, when it says you in this chapter, when you were dead in your sins, it's plural here. It's the you plural. So it's about the church as a whole, not just the individuals. So that's what we're uh, dealing with uh, today. So let me ask you the question. When Paul says you were dead in your sins, that's a nice Christian phrase that we know and gets trotted out, right? But what does it mean? So let's have some thoughts. Let me ask the group here. What do you think, when you hear that phrase, you were dead in your sins, what does it mean to be dead in our sins? What comes to your mind? Dead in our sins. I I think the, the, the idea of not being fully alive, like the way that God created us and intended for us, be. Mm. when we're weighed down by sin and just caught up in the snare of it and you know just mm. yeah, that, that, that we can't then be fully alive all right it is it prevents that true life yeah yes okay dead in yeah. our sins what, what else what does it mean to you uh, Simon sorry, lost, and without any hope. lost without hope all right. So. You receive an invitation to a party yet you are so focused on how you look and how you feel that you don't open the invitation. <laughs> hmm. You never get there. No. No, you never get to enjoy what God has offered. Yeah, yeah. Are you thinking of zombie movies? Zombie movies? <laughs> like you're not fully alive but you're... Not that I'm a fan of zombie movies. not dead you're you're not living yeah yeah there is a kind of life but it's not really life mm-hmm. yeah I say yeah, it's almost like your life gets reduced to this sort of cycle of sin and guilt sin and guilt mm-hmm. and repetition and um yeah just uh becomes the world gets very small get stuck a bit groundhog day-ish yeah. in a way alice in your sin is when you're not when you're not like fully alive like when you just feel like you don't want to move you don't want to move you're stuck yeah. paralysed maybe yeah. yes okay I think about the emotions attached as well um, so when you are you know in sin or hmm. you know there's, there's resentment bitterness perhaps depression guilt like Leon said and you know that that it just—it's very difficult to rise above that emotionally. Whereas that feeling of when you know that you are forgiven, there's that lightness and that relief and joy. Yeah. Mm, the joy, yes. I think it's the inability <coughs> to change. Inability and to that, change. A lack of hope. A lack of hope. Mm. Yeah, that's a horrible place to be, John. I think Grace may have said it, already, but um, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, of movies where you've got someone in a hospital, um, and people are saying, Look, "Can you can you move anything? Can you just respond? Squeeze mm. my hand, that kind of thing." So unresponsive. Um, mm. There's something, you know. Clearly, people are gathered around a the bed, there's somebody would like to get through, real person, but somehow unresponsive. Mm. Yeah. powerful image. Thank you, yeah. uh, Dan. I was thinking about how sin means miss the mark of an archer. Yes, missing the mark, yes. Yeah, so what does sins mean? And it made me think about that. If you were shot by an arrow to a tree and like stuck there, nailed to it, you can't move. Like kind of thing, like, like almost like Jesus was. Anyway. In the sense that like, you can't move because you're pale on something. And there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> you're just there. Helpless. <laughs> Helpless. Dead in our sins. Helpless. Well, that, that gory image may be uh, the best place to then refer us to uh, Romans 5. Do you want to just flip over there for a moment? I think this, another writing of Paul, puts it or, or encapsulates this quite well in, uh, in Romans 5. And uh, where are we? In verse 6. You see, at just the right time, When we were still powerless, paralysed maybe, you know, that kind of idea. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners christ died for us while we were still sinners while we were still dead before we had anything to give anything to pay him back any response anything to offer when you're dead you have nothing to offer like the person you were talking about in the uh hospital who just has no can give no response we have nothing to give and this is the love of God. This is the amazing capacity of God to do what humans cannot do. Someone might possibly dare to die for a righteous person. There are people there are amongst us here. Some of us would, if we were called to, offer our own lives for somebody else here, especially perhaps if we're a parent, one of our children. You might, you might not. Who knows when the time comes, right? How exactly we'd respond. But we could imagine, I might be willing to die to save the life of my child or my best friend or someone I really care about. Maybe, maybe. But God decided to send his son and die for us when we had nothing to offer and when we were not uh, not helpful to him, not useful to him in a sense, just because he loves us and while we were still his enemies. This is a whole nother level. So we were dead in our sins. That's where we were. God stepped in and he gave us life. He gave us a new life. He made you alive with Christ, forgave us all our sins. How many of our sins? All. You see the word all there in that, in that passage? God, he forgave us. It doesn't say he forgave you your sins. I don't know why, but the word all is in there and it stands out to me. He forgave us all our sins. In other words, the sins of the past, the sins of this morning, <laughs> the sins of tomorrow all our sins so what does that mean it means that we are free to live a life without ongoing guilt guilt is useful at times because it reminds us that we've stepped over a line that that can be a useful trigger but guilt is a tool not a place to live it's not somewhere God wants us to be long term and so we step into sin sometimes and then we are guilty but then we remember that Jesus died for all our sins and so we live habitually in a state of freedom from guilt rather than habitually in a state of guilt. Now, I share this with a recognition that for some of us, that actually sounds a little burdensome. And for some, not maybe all of us, but for some, we find it difficult not to live in a state of guilt because or even to feel like it's the way we ought to be. Maybe our... Um, psychological makeup it may be more to do with the way we were brought up it may have some cultural issues connected with that issue i I don't know but some of us feel more comfortable being like it's good for me to be guilty i'm a no good person i really need god that's how it works for me but i don't believe that's how god intends it to be and part of the maturing as a christian in the christian life is growing to learn how to enjoy living with a clear conscience that god has given us we didn't give ourselves but god has given us And so part of that is about, frankly, repenting quickly. And repenting, I mean, in the holistic sense of that word, that it's a change of mind, that we recognize that sin is sin. Okay, let me acknowledge that with God, but let me then understand that as I change my mind, not only about my behavior, but I'm changing my mind about how I view myself, I'm now stepping out of a state of guilt into a state of freedom and, frankly, a state of joy, I mean, there's never, never a chance that we're going to be overflowing with thankfulness if we're burdened with guilt. There's no chance we're going to be a church that meets together and overflows with thankfulness if we come together like yeah we're all sinners and we're no good and you know I hope God likes me today because I've been really bad this week and that that's yeah exactly <laughs> flogging ourselves that that is not it's not how it's meant to be and this is not a, a teaching that is saying well guilt guilt and sin don't matter Oh, they matter. Jesus went to the cross but he's dealt with it. So therefore we can live with habitual repentance and habitual freedom of conscience and habitual joy. That's how we're designed to be. That's how we're designed by God to be. He says, it says he's taken all of the things away that were against us, canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, taken it away, nailing it on the cross. Uh, We had some hedges trimmed this week, uh, big, big, tall Leylandii who uh, we had to get someone in professionally to trim them. So they trimmed it all down and they had a a, a chipper and we we like the the chippings because they're good fertiliser. So we asked them to leave us a big pile of the chippings. So there was a big pile of chippings in the the driveway and they put also a big pile of chippings in the wheelbarrow. And I went out to the wheelbarrow the day, a day later, and there's, there's a big, big mound of chippings in the wheelbarrow, and on top, right on top in the middle, was a pile of poo. Some animal, a cat, a dog, a fox, had climbed on top. I don't know why they did this. Why would you, as an animal, climb on top of a wheelbarrow, on top of all these Leylandii chippings, and poop on there? I, I don't know. A poop with a view. (laughs) Yeah, my territory. I'm marking it. It's mine. So, I uh, I went out there and I used a a, a sort of some leftover rag bits and scooped it up and put it in the bin. I was determined to take it away because it stank, right? Our sin stinks. Our pre-Christian life stank. You might forget, it might have been a few years ago now, or some of us, several decades. You might have forgotten how lonely you were, how guilty you felt, how stuck in sin you were, how you were desperate to try and find a new pattern of life and couldn't find it. You might forget how much damage you were doing to your friendships or your marriage or your children. You might forget where you were going with your addictions. You might forget these things. We do forget, we need to remember. We need times to remember what God has done, taken us out of that old life, canceled it, taken the poop of our sin away, and stuck it in a bin and dealt with it so that the aroma of death is no longer with us. That's what Jesus has done for us. Cancelled it, taken it away, and we live in the uh, the freshness of new life. The, 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 the chipped lelandi I actually smell really nice. It sort of smells like Christmas every time I go around there because it's a bit like a Christmas tree. Much better smell. This this is what he's done. He has obliterated our sin, cancelled it. All the debts are gone. No longer piling up so we don't have to carry those burdens and it's permanent nailed it to the cross commentators discuss what that means precisely it's not entirely clear in the greek to be honest but it seems to me to be expressing the fact that my sins were taken and nailed to that cross and that's the only place they now exist they're there is there permanently right they're nailed nailed on you might think about of course christ being nailed to the cross you might think about the title they put above the top of the cross declaring who jesus is and that declaration means that my sins are in a sense connected with that and with him disarmed the powers and authorities it's clear that the kind of disarming of the taliban that some had hoped would have happened hasn't happened and the and and there's a resurgence of their their reign their terror i suppose you could say for many but Jesus hasn't partially disarmed or, da- or just da- done some damage to the power stood against us. He has completely disarmed them and he's made a public spectacle of them. You probably know that in that culture, when a, a Roman army, a Roman general led his army uh, in, a, uh, in a war, in a conquest, at the end of that time, the army would return to Rome or perhaps parade through the city they conquered. And they would have the army and they'd have the general on his char- in his chariot, and then behind them will be brought a bedraggled spectacle of, of all those that have been conquered. And they will be walking through the streets with bare feet and scanty, you know, just torn clothes and none of their weapons, because they've all been consequented, cause, cons, cons, com, confiscated, thank you, and because they've been fully disarmed and, and they're powerless and they're a spectacle and they are, they are now to be pitied, perhaps even. And Jesus, because of what he's done, and God, because of what he's done in Christ, has disarmed all the powers, made a spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That's what has happened. That's why we take communion. It's why we celebrate what God has done. The cross looked like a defeat. The Romans thought they'd won. The Jewish authorities thought they had won. The most powerful religion of the day thought it had won. The most powerful secular power of its day thought that it had won. But the irony of the cross, that simple piece of wood, that simple person you could say, nailed to that piece of wood, who looked like nothing, was more powerful on that cross than the entire Roman Empire and the entire Jewish religious system. What an astonishing thing and what hope it gives us when we feel weak, when we feel vulnerable, when we don't live up to what we would like to, when we feel the world is against us, when we feel that we are a minority, a tiny minority, when we feel that we have struggles, when we feel that we're not good enough, when we don't look very impressive, sitting on our ramshackle collection of strange chairs and blankets in a park, uh, not quite knowing what's happening next week, at the mercy of government regulations and weather and who knows what, when we feel so weak, we're joining Jesus we're joining the one who's got the ultimate victory so we don't have to fear the future we may feel afraid at times and that's not that's not a problem to feel afraid but we don't have to live controlled by fear of what may happen in the future because we know that jesus has already triumphed and that's why we take bread and wine ethan and uh, william would you mind passing out the uh, these little capsules please we're going to take bread and wine in in just a moment uh, these are the capsules we're using for now, which we'll have to do. <laughs> All right, so... If you can pass them out. That'll be helpful. So we're going to, take, going to take bread and wine to remind us of what Jesus has done to give us this freedom, this new life, and that, to share in his victory. I'm going to finish while we hold these, by reading some verses from Romans chapter 8, which are phenomenal uh, expressions of the, the confidence we can have uh, in God and in Christ. So let me read from Romans 8. Has everybody got one now? Can I? Oh, yes. Thank you. I need one. Thank you. Everybody? Yeah? Wow. We could read the whole chapter, but we'll just read. Uh, we'll just read from uh, 31. Let's read from 31. Romans 8:31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge? against those whom God has chosen in this Watford congregation. It is God who justifies. Who is is it then who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us, for you and me. Interceding for William. Interceding for Esther. Interceding for Reuben, Interceding for uh, Steve. Interceding. That's what he's doing interceding for us who shall separate us from the love of christ shall trouble or viruses or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we face death all day long we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered no in all these things we are more than conquerors get the present tense there in all these things we are more than conquerors not we will be We are more than conquerors through him who loved us, not through your power, your strength or mine, through the fact that we are in Christ. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus Christ. Our Lord, Let's pray before we take the communion. Father, we want to thank you that what we have in you is more powerful and more amazing and more beautiful than anything we can otherwise imagine on this earth. We thank you that in you we have no condemnation. In you, you've, you've taken our debt away. Uh, there's now no condemnation. We thank you that we can live with a clear conscience. We pray, make our consciences uh, sensitive, Father, to our own sins and help us to repent Um, as a habit repent of things that don't please you but then but then allow you to to refresh our hearts and minds with confidence that you love us and accept us we pray that you'll give us confidence also that the things that we find challenging in life right now we'll be able to put before you and trust that you will deal with and you will help us and give us the strength that we don't have in ourselves father we thank you for this these little emblems representing uh, the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus We pray that as we take them now, that they would strengthen us. Strengthen us in our remembrance of what Jesus has done. Strengthen us in our thankfulness for what he has done. Strengthen us in our determination to live in Christ, for Christ, to show Christ to this world. We thank you for Jesus, and we pray all this in his name. Amen. Let's take communion together.